We come to the last message in our series, uh, Trusting God. So uh, uh, it's been, I think, a, a nine-week series, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's, it's, in essence, about trusting God. There's been a lot about uh, giving and, and money. And, and yet, at the end of the day, it really is about trusting the Lord. So I've titled this message this morning, To Know the Master is to Trust the Master. Uh, bosses. I've worked for a lot of bosses in my life, uh, all different kinds. And, you know, I might refer to them as masters or kings, but uh, every imaginable type of master. I remember one man... Uh, when I would hold the, the level uh, so that the man that was reading the transit, uh, he wanted me to hold it in a position uh, that would cheat so that the guy, that the inspector would believe that we had the septic system deep enough. He said, you go over there and you hold it right there. And he was a cheat. He was, uh, and he said, if I didn't, he'd fire me. So that's the type of guy that he was. On the other hand, I worked for uh, another boss uh, in concrete construction, and he was a perfectionist. He did everything by the book, and he taught me so much. Um, and we had dug uh, a footing for a foundation, and it was perfect, perfectly square, perfectly level. The sides were cut into the clay. It looked perfect. And, and he said, now, Dave, he was from Alabama. He said, hey, Dave, you go over there and throw some, throw some dirt over there in the corner, will you? I said, dirt in the corner? I mean, we just cleaned that thing out. It's perfect. But I did it. Well, the inspector came to inspect it, and he walked all around, and he said, you know what? If you get that little pile of dirt out of the corner, it'll be perfect. <laughs> and the, the boss told me later, he said, I know this inspector very well. If he doesn't find one thing, he won't be happy. So he, he, he manufactured the one thing. Now, that was a wise boss. Uh, I got a big kick out of that one. I worked for a board member of an organization that treated people under their care as if they were expendable and put their lives actually at risk. Uh, I'll never forget that uh, organization. And then I've worked for uh, a boss that cared so deeply for every employee that he would pray for them constantly and encourage them constantly. That was a wonderful boss, the kind of boss I'd want to have. Um, have you ever worked for a boss who you never knew which person was going to show up on that day? The good boss or the bad boss? Or what kind of a mood they were going to be in? Some of you might be married to somebody like that for all I know. <laughs> so uh, that's a challenge. But you think about a leader, a boss, and, and they're not steadfast, they're up and down emotionally. That's a real challenge to work for somebody like that. Uh, <laughs> I have too many boss stories, but uh, I worked for one boss that stayed drunk all day while we worked. He would make money uh, off of our work, but I guess in a sense that was his privilege. And then I've worked for men that I had to chase at the end of the week in order to get a paycheck, and I never enjoyed that. So. I've thought a lot about, you know, masters and bosses in, in my life. Um, 
One thing that I have learned was that in order to please the boss, the master, you had to get to know them and know what they wanted. And that's a principle that goes across all of them, no matter what they were like. So here it is, it's Palm Sunday, and we're looking at the parable of the talents. And you might be thinking, where's the connection to Palm Sunday? I mean, here it is, what we call the Holy Week, the week uh, that we, we think, uh, you know, the Lord at the end of this coming week was crucified. And yet today's the day of Palm Sunday. Well, this uh, parable of the talents, uh, Jesus, the master, if you will, he told this parable to his disciples in the week right after Palm Sunday. So it's, it's important when he told this parable. Uh, and if you think about it, it's the week just before his death. The Lord knew that he was going to die. And he was with those people that were closest to him, and he was teaching them about life in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, if you will. And you know, when he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, he's not alluding only to the future. Sometimes people think, well, the kingdom of heaven is in the future. But it's the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God had already started. <laughs> And Jesus was showing them uh, that the kingdom was already, already there in him and, and with them. And yet it is still to be fulfilled in the future. So when you think about the kingdom of God, it's here, it's in us, and it's still to be fulfilled. It's a much bigger picture. Uh, it's not a narrow thing about just the future. So Jesus is preparing his servants uh, and his servants, you remember when he described who was his mother and his brothers? He said, it is those who obey, hear the word, and obey the word. And so he's with those people during this week. This, this parable is pointed at the disciples, his people. So it's pointed at us in the same way, because I trust that all of us are his disciples. Uh, he's preparing them for his departure uh, he's pre preparing them for their responsibility. And I think he's also preparing them for his return. And so Jesus is using a parable. Now you understand what a parable is. I mean, they're all through the New Testament, and Jesus uses parables. Here's the challenge with parables. Usually a parable is teaching just one simple lesson. It's kind of like an allegory. But preachers like to take the parables and throw all different kinds of meanings into them. And you have to think about who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the disciples. And, uh, and so you have to think about what did they really know about the future? What did they really understand? Uh, and so it's a, it's a simple lesson. I like to think that Jesus is putting the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody can reach him, even me, you know? I can understand that, so Jesus puts it on the bottom shelf. And I love that Jesus teaches simple lessons. Not that everything is simple in the scripture, but this, I believe, is a simple lesson. But in the parables, they always reflect the nature of God or the nature of Christ. Simple lesson, reflecting God, reflecting Christ, okay? 
That's pretty basic. Uh, and, you know, I have to be careful. We teach the parables at the Illinois Youth Center sometimes, and we preach about the prodigal son and teach about them. And so it's, you want to bring all kinds of things into there, but we need to be careful and teach mostly what we think Jesus was teaching. So, so I challenge my, you and I challenge myself to think about the master, Jesus, and think about his nature as I read this parable and then I'm going to pray. So would you stand with me if, you, if you're able? Lisa, you can stay sitting down if you'd like. And uh, we're going to read from Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30. And I hope uh, by the end of this morning that God has taught us and that God has been glorified through his word. Starting in verse 14. Uh, For it will... What does the it refer to? It goes back to the 25.1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be. So here's what Jesus is saying. For the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God will be like a man's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had uh, the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew, this is a question, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, I pray that you would teach us 
from your word this morning. That we would hear your word and obey it. And Father, uh, that you would be glorified in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to start with life with the king. You could call it life in the kingdom. But I want to talk about life with the king, life with the master. So let's be real this morning. I'm trying to be real. I'm always trying to be real. The disciples, did they really know Jesus? You know, I think in some ways, yes, and in some ways, they had no clue. They don't really understand him. They're often confused. And then once in a while, they have great moments of clarity. <laughs> like when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And then he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah. That was a moment of great clarity. <laughs> but it didn't come from him, it came from God. And then just a few minutes later, the Lord is saying, get thee behind me, Peter. <laughs> because... Uh, of what Peter was thinking and saying. So uh, they've seen miracles. I mean, they've been walking with Jesus since the day they met him. They've seen miracles. He knew their names before he, <laughs> before he met them. Uh, they've even personally participated in miracles. And, and they've, they've seen the Lord work. And, uh, and yet they wonder, who is this man? that even the winds <laughs> and the waves obey him. <laughs> I mean, he just fed thousands of people, and, and he stands up and he calms the sea, and they go, who is this guy? You know, they, they, they're confused. They don't really know him all that well, and they're thinking, aren't you going to bring in the kingdom now? I mean, you keep talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Aren't you bringing that in now? Aren't you going to defeat our enemies? <laughs> and won't we sit at your right hand and your left hand and rule in the kingdom? And we're going to be rid of this Roman empire that's over us? That's what they were thinking about the kingdom. And, and Lord, don't you remember <laughs> what happened on, the, on that last first day of the week? <laughs> you know, when you came riding into uh, Jerusalem, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they said, we want to make you king. And so that's where the disciples are at. It's shortly after this. Yes, they're beginning to know who Jesus is. But no, they don't totally understand who Jesus is. And you know, they had the teaching from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And I think that's some of the hardest teaching for the Lord's disciples, including us. You remember where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit? <laughs> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Wow. The meek, those who hunger and thirst <laughs> for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. That's the kind of kingdom that the Lord was teaching. And we've been through the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a couple of years at least. But it's a different kind of a kingdom. It's not the kingdom that we see on earth. It's not power 
and, and majesty necessarily and, and ruling over and, and having everything that belongs to you because of the kingdom. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> and so the question, you know, uh, it remains. What kind of kingdom is this? Do we really, do you and I really understand the kingdom of God and what the Lord means? And so the Lord, knowing his disciples, he teaches them this parable. And that brings us to our, our parable. So the Lord entrusts to his servants. <laughs> it says at the beginning of this that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. So imagine that that man is Jesus, um, and he called his servants, imagine his disciples, you and I, and he entrusted to them his property. So right away we begin to think about, okay, this, this man is entrusting something to his servants. And I think about within the kingdom of God that we live in, what kind of things has God entrusted to us? Uh, <laughs> Well, he's, he's given us gifts within the body of Christ. Do you believe that, that God has given you a gift and maybe more than one gift? Certainly he has. Uh, he's done that. Uh, he's given us uh, work to do, each one of us. He's given us a ministry to do. He's given us stewardship, things that we are to take care of. We've heard of that over and over again. He's given us work to do with our hands real work. Uh, he's given us family. He's given us, uh, uh, you know, brothers and sisters and family. He's given us responsibility. So the Lord has entrusted us with all kinds of things. But what's he really talking about in this parable? So he gave to each of the three servants a different amount, right? Right away, that seems weird. <laughs> this guy gets five. This one gets less than half of that. He gets two. And this little guy over here, he gets one. And, and you know, it's like, okay, what's, what's going on with that? You know, uh, and, and the word talent, it's, it's a measurement of money. And if you read all the, you know, the, the commentaries and everything, it, it, it's, it's an amazing amount of money. Let's just leave it at that. These people were entrusted with a large amount of money, the five the two and the one. And, and so here's a phrase that, you know, we, we, we don't often think about. It says, each according to his ability. Wow. That makes us, you know, we good Americans, we're all created equal, right? Well, not necessarily, apparently. Uh, there's different levels of ability. Uh, so it, the amount of the gift reflected the ability of that servant. And, and you think, well, is that fair? Is that right? I mean, you know. But, but here's what I, we need to realize. Even though they each had a different amount of ability, they all had exactly the same opportunity. You understand that? The same opportunity to, to use what they were given, the same opportunity. So, yeah, differing abilities, and that's how the Lord works. And the Lord, 
It was said this morning, I think Bill said it perfectly in, in what he was talking about. It's the Lord that enables us to serve him. He was talking about through the Holy Spirit. So God entrusts us, and then he enables us, each according to his ability. So think about that this morning. <laughs> what has God enabled you to do? What has God entrusted you with? And I've, I, I had to sit down and think about this. And, and if you're honest, you'll realize that he's entrusted us with quite a, quite a bit. Uh, he's enabled us w with quite a bit. Uh, think about all that God has done for you. Uh, I think about, you know, when God started speaking to me and drawing me to himself. And, and I'm amazed at what God has done. And, and think of all the things that you've been through in your life. If we could hear a testimony from each person in here this morning, wouldn't that be beautiful? Probably be better than the message. But the testimony would tell us, this is what God has done for me in my life. He's done amazing things in every one of our lives. And he enables us, he entrusts us, his servants. Uh, opportunity testimony. So here's one of the things that happens, though. The laborers are expected to produce. Okay, so they've been with Jesus. The disciples have been with Jesus, walking with the Lord for years now. He's approaching his death. So somewhere around three years, they've been walking with the Lord. And one of the things that they learned from the Lord in reference to laborers and a master is that the laborers are expected to produce you and I being the laborers. And you know what? I'm just going to read some scriptures, and you're going to say, oh my goodness, yes, we are expected to produce. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Short thing, God gives you much. He requires much from you. Wow. Now, that's not for salvation. Don't, don't get that mixed up. <laughs> this is what God gives us in, in the area of what he's entrusted us with. Uh, listen to this verse. He says, uh, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's sending us out. <laughs> he says, if you're going to follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. And, you know, some of you think, well, fishing's not work. <laughs> uh, actually, down at Angola Prison, there's two or three men that all they do is fish all day long. It's their job, and they have to catch fish. Uh, and it goes to, usually to the warden so that he can have fish for his meal. So, uh, <laughs> and some people think, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But no, it's, it's really not. So, but fishing is work, is my point. And the Lord said he will make us fishers of men. Here's a verse. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That sounds like the Lord expects us to produce. <laughs> Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. <laughs> Friday afternoon after 
I had spent many hours in preparing, I, and that verse was kind of floating through my head, and I was hiking in the woods, and, and I'm coming out of the woods, and there's these robins all over the place, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to preach the gospel to these robins. <laughs> so for a minute, I did, you know. Uh, that's just how crazy I am. And, you know, nothing happened. They just still were flitting around the ground, and, and I was thinking, well, I, I did, you know, I just preached the gospel to creation. And, you know, I love that thought that at some time the whole creation is going to jump up and shout in praise to the Lord. That just blows me away. I think animals, rocks, I mean, in, in, in Palm Sunday, didn't the Lord say, you know, if these people are silent, the rocks are going to cry out? So I, I, that's all creation preach the gospel. That's the work that he gives us to do. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Apparently, we're supposed to put our hand to the plow, which sounds like work to me. You don't put your hand to the plow anymore. You just kind of steer it and put, put the throttle and, 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 and all that. But, uh, and, and back in the, the Lord's time, you literally put your hand to the plow. Well, probably an oxen pulling it or something, but your hand was on that plow. <laughs> okay. Amen. So, the Lord expects us to work. He says, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. So the work that he's asking us to do is the work that lasts for eternal life. So yeah, we have real work, real plowing, but he expects us to produce in the spiritual realm things that will matter for eternity. We're to impact people for eternity. <laughs> and the Lord is teaching these things through all these three years that the disciples are with him. He says, work well it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. So the Lord is projecting, you know. He's projecting that something's going to happen where he'll be gone, and, and, and then he'll come back, and that time of preaching the gospel will end. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I think of Phil this morning and, and, and family and group. They've been sent to Ethiopia more than once, but I love the fact that, you know, God is still sending. <laughs> Julie, going over to a church in Rockford and, and, and teaching them and encouraging them to, to, to uh, preach the gospel to international students. She's been sent to do that. Uh, so those of us that get, go to prison, God has sent us to do these things. So uh, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. These are the words of Jesus when teaching his disciples about working in the kingdom of God. God expects us to be productive. Do you see that? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. So two of the servants in the parable immediately went out and worked and produced double. And the one servant, he hid the master's money in the ground. Probably didn't work very hard to dig that little hole. So. And then we're told that the Lord, the master, embarks on a journey. All the parable says is, then he went away. Jesus had been teaching his disciples that he was going away. And, and the closer it came to the time of his death, he kept teaching them that he was going away. But they, did really, they really did not understand that. 
He told him, you know, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, and I will take you to myself. He, he taught him a little while and you will see me and, and no longer, and, and again a little while and then you'll see me. So the parable is teaching a simple thing here, uh, that the master would go away. So the, the next thing I want us to see, you know, there's, there's life in the kingdom, life with the king, but the idea of learning to know the king. Uh, when you walk alongside of somebody and, and work with somebody day after day, <laughs> it, it has a huge impact in your life. You know, I think about Kathy and I, 45, well, we've been married 45, we've been hanging around each other for about 47 years, and... Uh, you know, when, when we're together, and we literally do walk together, you know, sometimes we finish each other's sentences, and she'd say, I do that too much. Um, and so we've gotten to know what each other is thinking. We really begin to know each other, and uh, we, we, we trust one another. That's the idea, is that hopefully we, we trust. So when the disciples had been walking alongside of Jesus for these three years, I'm hoping that they were learning to trust him. I've told you that when we go into the uh, adult prisons and teach fatherhood, we talk about building a wall of trust. You probably heard this, but I'll repeat it again. Every time a father, in this case, follows through on a commitment to one of his children or a wife, he says, I'm going to write you a letter, I'm going to send you some money, uh, I'm going to be praying for you. Uh, when, when a person keeps that commitment and follows through, then you can put a block in that wall. And the more somebody follows through on their promises, you put another block in the wall. More until you get a wall that's, that's really high and strong. And then every so often, they'll let you down. And so there's a little problem in that wall. Then you have to rebuild that wall of trust. So I think about the disciples with our Lord Jesus, they learned to trust him, I hope, implicitly, because the Lord Jesus always followed through on everything that he said he was going to do, unlike we do. So uh, learning to know the king. The three servants should have learned to know the master. They all had the same opportunity to learn about the master. And here's what I think they would learn. The Lord is good. You can say all the time. <laughs> in a different church, if I'd have said the Lord is good, everybody would have gone all the time. And I'd have said all the time, and then they'd say the Lord is good. And so, uh, you know, I was throwing that out there, seeing if you'd bite, but uh, you didn't. So the Lord is good uh, all the time. Amen. And, you know, it sounds trite, but it's actually very true. It's not trite at all. The Lord is good. He's faithful, he's forgiving, they would learn that about him. Uh, think about the people that the Lord forgave when he was walking with the disciples. <laughs> Amazing stories. He was steadfast, he, they could depend on him and rely on him, trustworthy, loving, kind, I could go on and on and on. And the Lord is a giver was something that they needed to learn. You know, and, and he's not a taker. <laughs> I think one of the servants may have had an issue here. The Lord is a giver. He's not a taker. Uh, 
What does the Lord give? Think about the things he gives. He gives healing. He gives food. Uh, he gave sound teaching. He gave life. And I'm talking about his miracles here, you know. <laughs> yeah, he gave healing, food. He, he gave sound teaching. He gave life. And shortly after this week, he would give his own life. The Lord is a giver, isn't he? He's a giver. He's not a taker. <laughs> they would learn that the Lord is gracious. <laughs> he gives mercy to sinners. That's one of the things that I love so much about Jesus is he loves sinners, and he offers them mercy. Who else does that? Our judicial system doesn't do that, I can tell you that. The Lord expects growth. So now we're getting a little further into the Lord. You know, I said uh, he, he wants to see productivity. He said if a branch doesn't produce, what do you do? Cut it off. Did I hear somebody talking about pruning this morning? Yeah, right here and here. and Yeah, people are going out and pruning, you know, and, and you've got to prune these apple trees. Sounds like it's a lot of work. And, and you prune off these branches because you want it to produce. And if it doesn't produce, cut it off. And there's one other thing I want, I want you to learn this morning and that I, I, I found is that I believe the disciples learned this principle because it's taught all the way through Scripture that the Lord God will not be mocked. How in the world does that fit in? And I think you'll see it. It's in Galatians chapter 6. You might even want to turn there. Uh, verses 7 through 10. And it goes right along with what we're teaching this morning. Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, Do not be, be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, in other words, whatever kind of work they do, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Remember we said work for eternity? And it goes on and it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, of working. For in due season, if we, if we keep working, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, remember I'm talking about opportunity this morning, let us do good to everyone, like the Lord did, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So I think that's powerful. I think that the Lord tells us, they had to, the disciples had to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would not be mocked, that he expected productivity. He expected us to be uh, reaping towards spiritual things, not fleshly things. So the last part of the, the, the process here this morning is later the king returns to settle accounts. In, this, in the word here it says a long time later the master returned. So what had the servants produced? And did they really know the master? Pretty simple conclusion, and, and, and at least of the parable. The faithful servants produced double. 
And they were complimented by the Lord. What did the Lord say to them? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, and I'm going to put you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Wow, the master's joy. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like fun to me. And an enter to the master's joy. Maybe there was a celebration. You know, uh, uh, whatever it means, it, it's a powerful thing. But the worthless servant who had not been faithful, who apparently did not know the master, as evidenced by what he called him. What did he call the master? He said, you're a hard man. You, you, sow where you, you, you reap where you don't sow. He, and he said he was afraid of the master. And he hid the money in the ground. You know what? And here's kind of where we're getting at the heart of this thing. He did not trust the master. He was a servant of the master. He had walked with him. He had the same opportunities to know the master. But apparently he never trusted the master. He didn't really know the master. Because like I said in the title, to know the master is to trust the master. I can think of one disciple, so can you, that fits that. Who's that? The, the worthless one. Judas. Judas didn't really know Jesus. I don't think. And where it talks about throw him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think of what happened to, to Judas at the end of his life. So what are we to learn from this parable? John Piper helped me with what I needed to learn from this, so I'm giving him credit for parts of this. Parts of it are mine, my own thinking. But it's really important. There, there's three things, and then there's some applications. What are we to learn from this parable? Our view of God, your view of God, how do you view God? it will determine our choices in life. It really does. We see this. We see this in people, don't we? How they view God determines the choices that they make. It was wrong for the worthless servant to compare God to, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a harsh taskmaster, remember? <laughs> he kept taking things away and expecting more production. And, and the, the worthless servant compared God to Pharaoh, in a sense. That shows that he didn't know or understand God. And, and so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, and let's not be real easy on ourselves, because we're usually too easy on ourselves. Do we really know and understand God? Now, if you say you totally understand God, I can tell you now you don't, because the Bible tells us we can never plumb the depths of God. But do we, have we begun to understand God? Are we streaking 
uh, seeking, it's not streaking, let's not be streaking. Uh, <laughs> are we, take it easy, Kath. Uh, are we seeking to know the Lord? Are we seeking to know Christ? That's the real question. And this morning and in my preparation, I asked God, and we should ask God to reveal himself to us in all of his glory and all of his grace. That's a good prayer maybe for every day. God, teach me to know you better. Would you reveal yourself to me in all of your glory and grace today, Lord, please? Here's the single principle. You remember I said earlier a parable usually teaches one thing. This is the one thing that this parable is really teaching. Be faithful with what God entrusts to you. Remember earlier I asked, what has God entrusted to you? Be faithful with what God has entrusted to you. That's the lesson that the Lord was teaching to his disciples. I've entrusted work to you. Be faithful with what I've entrusted to you. Then we learn that God will re reward that faithfulness. And I think you will do this because you actually know and trust the master. That's what's going to make you do that. So God, teach me to know you so that I can be faithful with what you've entrusted to me. And then be aware that faithlessness results from not knowing or trusting the master. And it results in punishment. Some applications. I hope this is challenging to us. It's challenging to me. Here's, here's part of an application. And uh, Kathy said something in the car to me this morning that just, boom, I knew I was preaching this. Rejoice when God uses someone else. <laughs> Isn't that hard sometimes? Rejoice when you see God using somebody else. You know, the, the, the thing with the five, the two, and the one, oh, he's got five talents. I don't have much, you know. I, Lord's never given me much. You know, it's kind of that thing. It's, it's no. Rejoice when you see God using somebody else. <laughs> and stop comparing ourselves with others. They all had the same opportunity. God loved the five-talent person, the two-talent, and the one-talent person. He loved them equally, equal opportunity. And all that he gives us, Bill said this earlier, all that he gives us is by his grace. So we can't, you know, we can't claim that, oh, well, you know, I'm a five-talent guy because I've, I'm a self-made man. No, God gives us his grace. And you know what? We, we deserve no opportunities. We deserve to really have no influence or accolades. What the Bible teaches is that we deserve death and hell. But God gives us his grace, and all the glory is to go to God. That's challenging. Another thing, your ministry, it's not the measure of your worth. God doesn't look at us and value us because we do all these wonderful things in ministry. <laughs> That's not how it works. You know what the, the measure of our worth is? 
It's the cross of Christ. Isn't it? We were worth so much to God that he killed his own son. He died on the cross because we're so valuable to the Lord. That's our worth. It's not what we do. It's not how much we influence. Our worth is in Jesus Christ. Our potential is in Jesus Christ. It's not in us. So we need to rest in God's sovereignty and his kindness and his wisdom. This one, John Piper said, choose joy. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. Yeah, choosing joy, joy is a choice. I'm going to tell you, I fail at that choice a lot. But I think Christians, we need to choose joy. And, and you know where joy comes from? I, I've learned this and I still struggle with it all the time. Joy comes when we have gratefulness. The next step after gratefulness is joy. And before gratefulness comes trust. When you trust the Lord, you see him being faithful and always keeping his promises. That makes you grateful and then comes joy. And when you forget, when you forget to trust the Lord, then you've got to go back and start at the foundation. God loves me so much. So you, it's kind of a back and forth we go. God loves me so much that he would die for me. Choose joy. And don't be consumed with what you don't have. <laughs> a lot of us think about that. Well, you know, I, I don't have a good voice, so, you know, I can't sing in the choir. Or, but you could sure make a joyful noise to the Lord, couldn't you? That's choosing joy. So in all of our life, don't be consumed by what we don't have or who we are not. Be consumed with who we are in Jesus Christ. Focus on what God has given you to do, not the obstacles. Kathy and I, we were headed, brand new Christians, they needed some people down in Guatemala because there had been a horrible earthquake. And we decided, I decided, we were going to drive to Guatemala and we were going to go serve the Lord for a summer, right? You know, and Kathy hadn't really been much out of the state, certainly never been to another country, and, and right away we started kind of throw, throwing things up. Well, you know what? If we can't get our shots, we won't be able to go. We were, you know, kind of secretly hoping, well, maybe we won't get the shots. There's an obstacle. Nope, the shots came through. Well, if we don't have enough money, we, the money came through. Everything came through. And we, maybe in a sense, we focused on the obstacles instead of what God was calling us to do. We were brand new Christians. Well, that was an amazing two or three months in our life where God began to grow us to learn to trust him and to not look at obstacles, but look at what he has called us to do. Be seasonally minded. You're in a different season of life. Jason, you're living at home. You're under your parents' tutelage. You got to do what mom and dad tell you to do. You got to go to school. So you have some limitations in your life. But as, as we grow up, you know, then 
you know, there's a different season in life coming. Maybe you end up going to college. You're in a different season then. You have different opportunities, different challenges. Uh, you get married. You have children. That's a different part of life. So be seasonally thinking about, okay, in this season of my life, you know, when we get older, we don't have as much energy. <laughs> and we think about, okay, Lord, in this season of my life, how can I be productive? How can I stay productive? So we need to think that way when we think about this parable. Um, we need to work towards the account that we're going to give to God. Because I do think someday we will count to God for, for what he's, he's given us to do. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We need to work urgently. The Lord said, you know, there's a time coming when we'll no longer be able to work. So there's an urgency to the message of the gospel and to the work that God has called us to do. We need to be wholehearted in our work. <laughs> how many, be honest now, how many of you go to work every day wholeheartedly? There's one or two, okay? There's a half of one back there. <laughs> yeah, going to work wholeheartedly sometimes isn't easy, you know? But in everything that we do, and I love, if you go through the Bible in the Old Testament and do a study on the word wholeheartedly, you see some pretty amazing people that wholeheartedly serve the Lord. Uh, I'd like to be one of them. I'm not always one of them. But I think God expects us to be wholehearted in our work, no matter what he tells us to do. And we need to per persevere and finish strong. I think about that. Wouldn't it be awful if, you know, I'm 68 years old now and I can see the finish line down there. It's kind of, you know, it's not that far away. And wouldn't it be awful if somewhere I failed the Lord and just fell flat and didn't finish the race, didn't finish the work that he called me to do? So by God's grace, I pray, Father, Help me to have the grace and the endurance and the strength to finish the race that you've called me to do. I can't do it by myself. No way. Find your niche. Find your calling. And some of you, you might be thinking, you know what, it's too late. <laughs> too late for me, you know, I'm getting too old. Is it too late to be talking about finding what God wants me to do with my life? You know what? It's not too late. There's another parable. We don't have time to teach it. But you remember when the Lord of the vineyard went out and hired people to work in his vineyard? He went out and hired these dudes. And I used to do this down in Birmingham, Alabama, go on the corner and pick three, four guys. You come to work with me. Later in the day, we'd realize we need a couple more. They'd come back. We'd bring them. And in the parable that, that Jesus was teaching, he went out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon right before the buzzer was going to go off or the bell at 5, and he hired a bunch of people then. And you know what? At the end of the day, he gave them all the same reward, every one of them. It's not too late to say, Lord, for the rest of my life, whatever that is, help me to be productive productive with what you've called me to do. Wednesday night, we read two verses when Dan was teaching, and we're going to end with those two verses from Jeremiah 17. Blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, 
and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 